right. Well, hi, Dustin. Sorry I'm late, buddy. No, you're good. I uh, was putting together couches, helping my oh, wife. Fun. My wife was doing most of the work, and I was assisting in menial ways, oh, uh, gotcha. as, as is often uh, our dynamic when it comes to putting together furniture. So, Sure. You know how it is when you're having to use the special tools to get in all the little nooks and crannies and tighten yep. all the whatevers. So all the little Allen, Allen wrenches and oh, dude. such when we were, uh, we've had to break down our, our kid's crib like a few times and every single time it's just this little Allen wrench and you're leaning over in this weird position. You're, you're cutting your fingers on the screws and yep. Ah, boy, if you're listening to the show, welcome. Uh, you can watch and listen in a variety of ways. There's everywhere you get podcasts and also YouTube for video. Um, we're going to get right into it tonight. I wanted to bring up a couple of thoughts, articles, and then, uh, we've got later in the show, we will review the film Sputnik, a Russian film. And, uh, um, excuse me, Russia. And, um, maybe a couple of of other (laughs) things. Yay. There goes probably actually a lot of our core audience. (laughs) It's Russia. (laughs) Right out the door. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> all right. So first thing I've got here is this, uh, well, I got two things. There's, it's in the show notes. There's a CNN article, and then we're going to talk about this NPR opinion piece that references, actually, I think it was a New York times, um, editorial by Top Tom end. Hanks. Yeah. CNN is where I first saw the story. So, 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 so they won I got the link from them. Um, so Tom Hanks came out recently and wrote, uh, an article for, um, for the New York times saying that movies and TV shows must quote, portray the burden of racism. Essentially, if Hollywood is going to claim their similitude, uh, in storytelling, you know, reflect reality, um, it needs to do better at that. And, um, you know, a lot of movies, uh, as we've discussed previously recently on the show, when Brianna was on about how a lot of, um, storytelling as it relates to, slavery or 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 black characters can be focused on um oversimplification or the other way into black trauma um and overall whitewashing and um and that the argument now is that instead movies need to just just tell the truth just tell what happened you know so it was a interesting little thing i was like oh tom hanks is great this is a pretty uh universally accepted point of view to have on this subject. Mm -hmm. What's wrong? Well, uh, Eric Deggins, Deggins, it's two G. So I'm guessing it's Deggins like Baggins. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, but, uh, that's going to be relevant later. Um, but he wrote this article for NPR. The opinion piece is titled Tom Hanks is a non-racist. It's time for him to be anti-racist. So, he begins the article by saying, I'm a huge Tom Hanks fan. I love Tom Hanks. I love all his, I love these movies. I love this, this, and this. He spends a whole lot of time saying, please don't get me wrong. I have no beef with Tom Hanks. I just want to say what he's saying here is that it's not enough. Um, the, there's some quotes from the article I wanted to point out. So he talks about over the years, he starred in a lot of big movies about historical events. And then he realized pretty much everything he's starred in or produced that's, that's related to history. Um, in other words, he is a baby boomer star who has built a sizable part of his career on stories about um, American white men, quote, doing the right thing. He even played a former Confederate soldier in one of his latest films, News of the World, standing up for a blonde white girl who had been kidnapped by a Native American tribe. Um, so 
little section here. It's, you know, the stories often leave out black contribution. Um, He's not alone. Superstar director, I put my glasses on, I can't read tonight, Dustin. Uh, Superstar (laughs) director Steven Spielberg has a similar pedigree, um, notwithstanding occasional projects such as The Color Purple and Amistad, and fellow director Ron Howard. These stories of white Americans smashing the Nazi war machine or riding rockets into space are important, but they often leave out how black soldiers returned home from fighting in World War II to find they weren't allowed to use the GI Bill to secure home loans in certain neighborhoods or were cheated out of claiming benefits at all. They don't describe how black people were excluded from participating in space missions as astronauts as early early in America's space program. As the book and film Hidden Figures notes, even brilliant black and female mathematicians faced discrimination in the space program during the 1950s and 60s. If given better opportunities, perhaps they could have helped us get to the moon sooner, um, putting our best minds on the problem regardless of race. Uh, there's, there's more in here I could quote, but before I do, um, I wanted to get your thoughts on this because, um, I, I, I normally react to stuff like this. It's like, oh, come on. Like he, he said something good. Let's just let him say something good. Um, but, but objectively I can't argue with this opinion piece. I don't, it's hard for you or I to really say like, here's what I think should have been said, um, in the positions that we are in. But I have to say that reading, I'm like, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with this editorial response. It's, it's just saying go a little further. Um, and I have reasons why I think he didn't go further, but before I talk about that, I want to talk about what you think. What do you, what did you think when you read, when you read this? My knee jerk reaction is, is what you described initially is, is, Hey, well, you know, he said something good. Why, why split hairs here? Um, but I, you know, I can't argue with, yeah, why don't we do more than just say we're against racism? Um, I, but I do, I do have an inherent problem with demanding somebody use their platform in a way that they don't want to use their platform. <laughs> um, and, and that's not to say that that he shouldn't use his platform in that way. I think he probably should. However, if that's not something that he's interested in doing, then I don't like, I've seen this on Facebook and I've seen this on social media, on Twitter, you know, this idea that like, um, we all need to be saying things at certain times. And I'm just like, I, you know, I, I don't think that that's, like if you don't say something, you're a part of the problem. I, I don't. I don't know that I would agree with that. And I also, while I think that you should absolutely do more to combat racism than just talk, um, I, I don't know that if somebody was just honestly non-racist, I don't know that I would really be. W- I don't know that I'd be super motivated to pick a fight with them and say, well, no, you have to be anti-racist too. Um, because I think that, I think that you should be, but I think that my time is better served elsewhere. Um, and so, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess what I'm coming down to is I don't have much of an opinion on this. I think it's kind of a non-issue for me. Um, it, if Tom Hanks says something and it isn't outright offensive, then I, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to split hairs on what he said or what he should have said or shouldn't have said. Um, I do. I do want to point out the opinion pieces. 
statement about Steven Spielberg, you know, aside from Amistad and A Color Purple. And at that point, you start saying, OK, well, aside from the times when he isn't when he is anti-racist, he should be more anti-racist. Right. It's like, well, then what's the number? What's the number of films he needs to make right. that would satisfy you? And I think we start getting into a gray area of, well, if you can't throw out a number, then there's not a, a clear guide for him to follow to do the thing that you're asking him to do. And then it's all subjective. And then, you know, it, it's kind of like, you know, just being – like picking a fight with somebody with no clear objective or what you would be asking or challenging them to do. Um, so I don't know. I, I do always balk when someone's like, well, aside from the times that they're not racist, they are racist, except when they're not. And it's like, well, are, are they or are they not? Yeah, I don't know. It, anyway, all, all I want to say on this is Tom Hanks. He is non-racist. I also believe he is anti-racist. Could he do more? Sure. Could we all do more? Absolutely. Could we all be more anti-racist? Absolutely. Should we all be more anti-racist? Absolutely. What? What's the opinion? <laughs> you know so, what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So what he says toward the end of this article is uh, the call to action. What Hanks and Hollywood should do next. He says, if he really wants to make a difference, Hanks and other stars need to talk specifically about how their work has contributed to these problems and how they will change. They need to make specific commitments to changing the conversation and story subjects, casting and execution. That is the truly hard work of building change. So yeah, this is the part where it's like, all right, well, how much... How much can you, like you said, how much can you expect someone to use their platform for something that they don't want to use it for? Um, you know, you can, as a, as an executive producer, as a star, you know, you can do what some stars have already done, which is you have writers and your contracts. Like I want certain percentage of, you know, of, of, of black, uh, uh, crew on my, on the films or writers on this, on my TV show or whatever. And which is, totally up to you. It's like, if you want to hire me, these are my conditions. And if you don't like the conditions, you don't have to hire me, but that's going to say more about you than it does about me. You know, like Michael B. Jordan has stuff like that in his uh, contract. Um, I I do have a little bit of a problem with like, I, you know, asking everyone to, to commit to a mission statement, you know, even if the mission statement is as simple as I will strive to be anti-racist in my business dealings, it's still, asking someone to be like, okay, well, you know, we need, we need you to put up all these, uh, we need you to check all these boxes for every project you're going to pursue or you're going to push through in the future. I think that the implication is, you know, we can hold this person accountable if we can get them to commit to such and such a standard, which isn't a bad motivation, but at the end of the day, like when the rubber meets the road, I, I, I think that you have to give people a little more credit than that and just say like, Hey, um, you clearly know that there's a problem. So can you just try to be part of the solution and expecting more of one actor over another actor or non-actors or just actors might be asking a bit too much. I don't know. I don't want to say it's asking a bit too much because I don't want to make people, especially people like this writer. I already forgot his name. What's his name? Eric Deggins. I don't want make, I don't want people to think that I'm saying, don't complain. Tom Hanks is doing enough. He's just, he's a great guy. Like, well, I mean, that's kind of like you said, like, yeah, we could all be doing more. You can't expect Tom Hanks to come out and say, Hey, you know, these are all about white guys doing the right thing, you know? And he's supp- somehow supposed to uh, apologize for contributing to, t- to what exactly? Like, that's not, you well, know, that's all he can play is a white guy. 
It's true. Right. That's so, true. So that's all he can do. Yeah. He, he, you know, we, we forget that these actors, I mean, obviously Tom Hanks is one that has a lot of pull, yeah. a lot of creative say. Um, but we, we forget that these actors are, are essentially day laborers that are hired. They're, they're gig workers. They're, they're brought in to do a job that, that, you know, is very limited in its scope. Um, for the most part, Tom isn't writing the scripts and he isn't, you know, doing that sort of thing. Um, so, so yes, I, I believe you, you can absolutely take to task, um, Hollywood and, and say, we need to be making more films about people of color. We need to be getting more people of color in jobs so that they can tell these stories because a wide gamut of, Diversity leads to diverse stories, which Hollywood desperately needs. Um, so, so we can absolutely take it to task, but I think taking an actor to task for it, um, is, is a little bit weird. I think you could take directors to task for it and say, like, pick better projects. And you can also take producers to task saying, finance better projects, more diverse projects. But like actors like Tom Hanks can only play a white guy. And if he's offered a lead in a, in a, in a film, he's going to be playing a white lead that, like I said, we can all be doing better. So to me, the headline isn't Tom Hanks needs to do better. The headline is we all need to do better. Let, let's, let's take what Tom Hanks is saying, which I think we should all universally agree with. And let's all vow to take a step forward, whether we're in Hollywood or not. And that's, that's, I think where, where I'm interested in, in the, the idea of let's all do it, not just Hollywood, not just those, you know, trendsetters, tastemakers, influencers, all of us. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. This next thing I've got up here is, um, this, this article from the Hollywood reporter. This is from a few weeks ago, but I thought it was still pretty relevant to, to bring up here. This is, um, covering the subject of the China um, connection to Hollywood and and the box office and how critical that country's approval and showing of movies is to box office returns, which, you know, until the pandemic were the only measure of success um, really that mattered in the studio system probably still is, but, you know, at least for a while there, we had a chance to figure out a different way to mm-hmm. decide which movies were um, valuable and which ones weren't. Yeah. Um, so this is a long article, but I encourage people to read it. Uh, but there's a lot of geopolitical stuff in there that's, um, you know, pretty dense. But um, it's it's essentially begins by talking about um, this um, during the press junket for Nomadland, uh, Disney, which I guess, what was Disney's connection to Nomadland? Did they help distribute it? I mean, I know it was on Hulu. Mm. But yeah. which they have a stake in, so maybe they were. Maybe it was a Fox thing. I'm not sure. Will you find that out for me while I read yeah, this stuff? So it's you know they're leading up to the Oscars. So Disney, it says Disney began tiptoeing around potential landmines with regard to China because the director is Chloe Zhao, um, or Zhao, Z H Zhao, right? I don't know. Um, yep. So uh, and with regard to China, the director's home country and the studio's most important international market. Um, Searchlight. Yeah, that was Disney owned Searchlight. Yeah. Um, An executive emailed members of the Hollywood press in March said, please note on your ongoing coverage of Nomadland that Chloe Zhao is a Chinese filmmaker. You may accurately refer to her as Chinese or a Chinese national. Um, it, It because a number of news outlets, including the New York times had called her Asian American. Um, 
but the it says the bluntness and the blanket nature of, of this was conspicuous as it would turn out Disney had abundant reason to be concerned over how the provenance and perceived allegiances of its rising star director um, who's also directing the upcoming Eternals for Marvel uh, was being portrayed to the world um, so and then it goes into like you know the Chinese Communist Party is notoriously censor happy with everything and notoriously um, uh, let's just say mean <laughs> to people uh, to 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 people who kind of uh, diss them which mm-hmm. it appeared to them that Chloe Zhao was continuously doing there was a, a, a magazine interview she did filmmaker um, in 2013 no less um, she explained the imp- inspiration for her first feature film songs my brother taught me about a Native American teenager looking for escape from the tough conditions of South Dakota's Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. She basically talked about how when she grew up in China, she felt like there were lies everywhere. And then when she finally got out, she kind of was able to figure out what was true, what was not, and um, how arming yourself with information can empower you and then challenge yourself with that information. And so China was like, and so Disney was like, Oh, let's let's make sure we're, you know, saying the right stuff. And it, it says, as it turned out, the studio's efforts were for naught, while its risk assessment was indeed accurate. While the quote has been removed from filmmakers website, archived versions were unearthed in China shortly after Zhao's best director win at the Golden Globes, setting off a social media backlash that prompted Chinese authorities to cancel the local release of Nomadland in April and expunge most mentions of Zhao from the Internet. I remember reading about this at the time, like, what are they doing? Mm. Yeah. Um, the controversy re- reached its zenith with the Oscars being fully censored in China, just as a homegrown hero was capturing the film's the film world's largest prize. While Zhao has a great many admirers in the Chinese film industry and among local movie buffs, her achievement nearly doesn't exist to the 1.4 billion people living within China's internet firewall. The prospect of an Eternals release in China is murky. The CCTV6 China movie channel recently aired the U.S. release dates for a number of upcoming projects, but omitted Eternals, as well as Marvel's Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Um, yeah, so China's pissed um, at her and at lots of studios. There's a lot of other stuff going on. John Cena had to recently apologize to China for for, for saying something uh, about... Um, I think about the the Uyghur Muslim. Yeah, let me read this last paragraph and then I'm, I want to discuss this. Sorry, I'm talking so much. At the same time that Hollywood's foothold in the Chinese market appears to be slipping, the reputational risks associated with the realities of doing business there are rapidly on the rise. While U.S. companies are increasingly taking principled stands on social issues ranging from voter disenfra- disenfranchisement in Georgia to cases of police brutality throughout the country, Hollywood has remained mum when it comes to Chinese human rights issues. Judd Apatow stood out as the exception when he summed up the state of affairs during a September interview on MSNBC. He said, instead of us doing business with China and that leading to China being more free, what has happened is that China has brought our silence with their has bought our silence with their money. Um, all the while, even the most outspoken celebrities have said nothing about the brutal crackdown on pro-democracy protesters in Hong Kong or the forced internment of over a million of China's minority Muslims in the province of Xinjiang. The U.S. is among several countries to label Beijing's mistreatment of the Uyghurs, which includes credible accounts of forced sterilization to reduce the ethnic group's population as a genocide. So they talk about things that, you know, as, you know, comparatively 
not as not as bad like Georgia stuff and and then to terrible things like what they're doing to the Uyghur Muslims in China. And it's kind of weird, like Judd Apatow says, where you would hope that just by spreading freedom and independence through filmmaking to these countries, that that kind of stuff would stop because people would be armed with a spirit of independence. And like he said, we can't say anything about what they do or we can't release the films in their countries that we have decided have to be released in their countries to succeed. So in a way I, as a reader, I blame, I blame us. I blame the studios for, for putting their eggs in the Chinese basket. (laughs) That seems that'd make a funny cartoon. Um, but, uh, um, now the podcast is canceled in China too. Damn it. (laughs) Those are two Russia and China, two huge markets for us out the window. Um, but uh yeah, I don't know. I, I I suppose there's nothing for me to say here except um this uh is interesting and if you remember for a while, like the the with the whole Red Dawn movie, the remake with uh Chris Hemsworth mm-hmm. and everybody else, mm-hmm. whoever else was in that movie, um yeah. they had to completely it was shelved for so long, and then they had to do a bunch of work in post to change the enemies to not China. Um, yeah. there was a ton of other movies that that happened with there. They, they took, they took, um, a certain patch. Uh, they took a, um, uh, a, uh, a, um, man, uh, Taiwan was it? Yeah. Like a Taiwanese patch off of, um, Tom Cruise's flak jacket for the neck, the new, um, top gun. Mm. Um, they were mad. Uh, oh, um, the whole reason that Marvel changed the ancient one in Dr. Strange to Tilda Swinton is because the character is Taiwanese. They didn't want to piss off China when they wanted to open it internationally. And now years later, people are mad that they did that. Kevin Feige had to apologize to people like we, like we shouldn't have whitewashed the ancient one. It was a, it was a very, it was a horrible choice to make. I was like, I wouldn't say it's a horrible choice. It was a horrible choice to kowtow to China in the first place. You should have just left the character as is. Mm-hmm. And and it and I know why he didn't, and it sucks why he didn't. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts? It ha- it has been strange to chart the course in our lifetimes of of the Hollywood dependence on China. Um, you know, because I, I it wasn't too long ago that we we were not that dependent. But as as budgets have bloated mm-hmm. and everything, it's like, well, we're not going to turn a profit in America and that's fine because we always have China. Maybe this eventually leads to us saying, well, look, we need to shrink our budgets so that we can make sure we turn our profit here. Yeah. Everything else is cherry on top. It's cake. But yeah, but but here we, we've got to turn a profit here. Um, so maybe that, maybe that's the next step. I don't know. I think so. I think the industry has to go that way. Cause it's not realistic to keep doing business that way. And I think that, that just saying, Hey, let's just shrink our budgets for some of these things, or let's not, fo- let's focus on the domestic market. Y- you get a lot more. I don't know. I just feel like you get better films that aren't made to appeal to everybody. Um, yep. and you just, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't. I think that I think that smaller budgets and less dependent on box office would solve a lot of lots of people's problems with studio films. They um, don't have to be as broad, and you can, you know, and as things go to a streaming model, or at least include streaming in the model. Yeah, uh, yeah, may, maybe maybe things are changing anyway, and then you know this will be a non-issue down the road. But but yeah, for now, I, I do think it's 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 crazy how how much that has changed yeah we're gonna go to break speaking of change when we come back we're gonna change our tone maybe i don't know 
probably not actually, um, <laughs> to, we talk about Sputnik and yeah. uh, we're going to have some thoughts about fan edits. What do you think yeah. about fan edits? You're going to hear what we think when we come back on the Hoopercast Movie Hour. Yes. on the Hoopercast Movie Hour. If you are watching on YouTube, you see these big boxes behind me. Um, this is the only place in my house these would fit. There's so uh, many boxes in my house that gotcha. I need to take to big trash. They're all up in the other rooms. So yep. um, I'll show you pictures of these couches later. They're, okay. they're good looking couches. Sweet. Um, okay. Let's uh, briefly talk about what's streaming this weekend. I have no recommendations for anyone on any <laughs> streaming service, on any of the big five, I'll call them the yeah. big five streaming services, except for, thanks to Dustin, Disney Plus. This weekend, on Friday, the 18th, we have Luca, the new yeah. Disney, I say Disney Pixar, but I don't think it, that's a thing, actually. It's just the new Pixar film. Yeah. Um, I like that you said thanks to Dustin. Like I, I, I am Pixar. Yes, yeah. Yes, <laughs> Dustin's film, Hello. Luca. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> and uh, yeah. So that's going to be interesting. So it's a good weekend to, and also that you informed me that much like Onward and Soul, this is a free. If you if you're a subscriber, it's a free. It's a free movie. It's streaming. It's not. It's not like I don't know why they're doing that, and I don't know how I they're making money either. on it. I don't know either. But, I, I think. I think their rationale is like we're not going to make as much money in theaters with kids because kids can't get vaccinated, so people might not bring their kids to the theaters. Or right, I'm not sure what they're. I don't know. But either. still, why not charge God, I'd, at home? I'd love to read like a really long investigative article about these decisions in mm-hmm. like a year. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, cause you're going to charge us in on July 9th for black widow, you know? Right. And so I don't know. You just charged for Cruella and everything. Yeah. I mean, why, why? I don't know. Yeah, that's, I had to pay to see Raya. Oh yeah. Yeah. I did too. I was, I was, I was about to make fun of you. Like hey, you did. And I was like, Oh, I did too. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. We all did. <laughs> we all paid all one way shills. or another. Man, nothing bothered me more than seeing friends of mine. As soon as that became available, um, for regular Disney Plus viewing, they're like, I'm gonna check this out, and then people just commenting like, "Yeah, I thought it was cool," and I was like, "It's <laughs> fine, right?" Nothing bothers me more than people loving a film that I think is fine. If I hate the film, I can yeah. go, "I hate it," and here's why. Yeah, but when yeah. it's fine, I can't speak yeah. up because then I just seem like a dick. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> just saying, like, I don't think it's great. But I think it's fine. Like, oh, okay, yeah. hair splitter. Yeah, I, th- I think it's good, but not as good as yeah. you're letting on. Because that bothers me when people do that to me. It's yeah. like, ah, yeah. it's not as good as it could have been. I'm like, oh, huh, what's your what's your take on this? Skip. Right, right. <laughs> skip, <laughs> skip. Okay, speak. Oh, I'm so, My name's Skip Chestnut. Why I'm so aggressive with the with this thing? All right. Yeah. Uh, we talked about Black Widow a second ago. Speaking of. Russian things, we are going to talk about Sputnik. What is this? Ты 
если я руковожу исследованием, почему от меня по-прежнему все скрывают? Мы рискуем жизнью человека. Герой Советского Союза. Если герой, значит готов ко всему. В том числе и пожертвует собой. That's a little bit from the trailer for Sputnik. I realize yes. if you were just listening, um, you know, they are speaking Russian, obviously. Uh, so if you don't yep. speak Russian, you don't know Sorry. what they're saying. Uh, yep. They're talking about some creepy stuff. Um, uh, as, is, as Sputnik is um, a relatively, I won't say creepy film, but, uh, you know, could be an unsettling film. Um, yep. So I'm going to attempt some names here. Um, real quick, but yeah. no, I'm never going to do it again. Sputnik okay. is directed by Egor Abramenko. Um, it is written by Oleg Mal- Malovichko and Andrei Zolotarev, starring Oksana Akinshina, Fyodor Bondarchuk, Pyotr Fyodorov, and Anton Vasiliev. All right, that's it. It's so one and only. Thank God um, we got through that. So <laughs> this is go. a Russian film. Yeah. And we saw this on Hulu. Yes. Um, and uh, it is a science fiction film. This is from 2020. This is another film that was supposed to debut at Tribeca and did not because of the pandemic. So um, it was released on video on demand uh, last April in Russia. And then it eventually made its way to, um, I think, IFC Films uh, mm-hmm. licensed it in the United States. And... Yep. Um, Got on Hulu. So this is a science fiction film about a young scientist who is brought in, who is who's recruited by the military uh, to evaluate a Russian cosmonaut. I say Russian cosmonaut. Every character is Russian, so we're not going to say Russian right, anymore. There you go. Yep. Um, a cosmonaut who um, has just come to Earth after um, an accident happened upon reentry, and uh, it's revealed that he has a an alien organism uh, living inside of him. Um, that comes out at night and uh, is extremely dangerous. And her job is to deal with that. I think it's in the trailer that her job is to separate, separate the alien from its host. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there, there's just something about watching foreign films in familiar genres that still can make it feel fresh to to you. Um, you know, you've, you, you can kind of tell how this story might go. There's a few twists in there that, that are, unconventional i would say or things that i were less conventional than the actual Mm -hmm. just setting of alien host how we get it out you know let's keep it grounded you know that whole approach but certain elements of the story were refreshing to me at least and just the idea that i said this about the parasite when we talked about parasite the uh the korean film is that just something about not hearing americans deliver lines that we're very used to hearing delivered and just having them hearing them delivered by people from another country who have different vocal patterns, different inflection. Um, something about it just makes it feel less expected. Uh, and the subtitles themselves force you to watch instead of just listening. So um, I, I, th- I think I'd give this movie a three star. I think is yeah, that, that was yours, right? Yeah, three stars. Yeah. Um. What What did you What did you What was your big takeaway from this one? Um. So, I, I think it didn't quite go as far as I wanted it to, and and it started to at least to me feel like a superhero movie more than uh, a horror film, and and that's really strange that that they eventually, you know, and and I, I'm not going to get into spoilers or anything like that necessarily, but but that that 
eventually it takes this like heroic turn almost or like this, you know, at least defense. The alien has to be defensive enough against characters that we now consider worse. Um, So it almost puts the alien in this like hero role um which which is strange i think and and especially for something that had been set up so strongly i think as a horror like creepy thriller uh to then become superhero is weird and then when it does that it starts to remind me of venom and um and so and so you know just this idea of an alien symbiote living within a a human host um it's very venom-ish and uh and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a bad thing. But this is essentially like if you were to ask me to describe it, I'd say it is venom. the Russian venom <laughs> that is also alien in a yeah. way. Um, it's like if Ridley Scott directed Venom, you get Sputnik. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that's about it. Um, it, it, it. I think, I think it's that sort of weird tonality shift um, that really kind of was weird for me um, because I was, I was with it for a long time. Um, But again, I think it did not go far enough and I'm not even like a huge, like, like super gore fan, but, but I'm like, look, when, when this is your premise, Mm -hmm. right. It's like, I kind of want you to go to some weird areas, like get, get dark, get scary. Some body horror. Yeah. You know, at, at least like, put our our main character through the physical ringer um in 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 terms of frights so yeah i i don't know i think it just didn't quite go far enough for me and then and then it sort of betrayed its tone um is is my only hesitation because i was with it for a long time and i dig the style i dig the actors mm-hmm. um like you said there th- there is a lot that's familiar here and and if you google like sputnik reviews i'm sure everybody's talking about alien everyone's going to talk about ridley scott's alien um and 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 that's fine you can do that um but what and i think that that's fair but what i would say is uh to your point like when you when you read this subtitled and hear it in in russian it doesn't feel as cliche as it might if this were all english yeah um right and so you know I- imagine instead of our our russian protagonist here you have you know uh, florence Pugh or whoever is big right now yeah and 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 it's Who like a Hollywood russian film. next month in black widow yeah there you go yeah. <laughs> um and 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 let's just say that that like that's that's the route Hollywood takes with this film. Then suddenly I'm going to start feeling like, Oh, so she's Ripley. Oh, so this is alien. Yeah. And like, okay. But, but again, set it in Russia and have it be delivered in Russian. It doesn't feel as cliche to me anymore. Yeah. Um, it's a window into a world that I don't I, like, I don't experience often. Um, so yeah, I, but, but like, as far as, is, is this a bad movie? No, absolutely not. Um, is, is this a great movie? No, it does, it does not reach those heights. Um, but, but is it worth your time? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Why not? Especially if you're a fan of the genre. Uh, it was Sony actually, who was the distributor of this, not IFC's involved somehow. I don't know. Yeah, they did something, right? Um, the it says the budget was 2.6 million US dollars. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. pretty impressive, L- I think, budget. For, yeah. for, for $2 million. Yeah, it looks like IFC Midnight released all US media 
is what it's saying. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know exactly what that means because yeah. then Scream Factory is listed as the Blu-ray release for America. So, huh. eh, who knows? Yeah, I guess. I'd, uh, yeah. So, if I mean, if you're if you are curious or you like horror, uh, thriller, science fiction, um, and you you do enjoy foreign movies, it's something to check out. But yeah, I mean, not mind blowing. Just kind of like, oh, cool. You know? Yeah. Okay. Um, let's talk about speaking of oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Force that transition. Oh, and speaking of transitions, as in uh, video transitions, let's talk about as editing. Editing? Yes. <laughs> um, okay. I, so you brought this subject to me. So I, the article I chose to pull up was a Film School Rejects article about the ramifications of remix culture, a brief history of the fan edit. I already subscribed to the channel, the Royal Ocean Film Society. So I had seen the recent video that uh, he made called Jar Jar doesn't exist anymore. And it's a, it's a Mm. great video essay. Everyone should check it out. It's embedded in this article, which is embedded in our show notes, which hopefully is embedded in your phone. But Mm -hmm. the idea of fan edits is becoming more and more prominent um, ever since like the early two thousands, when people like me were able to get editing software for relatively low price. And my first, do you remember what your first editing software was? Uh, well, so first was, was windows movie maker, which okay. just came standard, yeah. but then, but then the first one I bought was Sony Vegas. Oh yeah, man. People were using that, uh, in our yep. freshman year of college, sophomore year of college. Yep. yep. My first was pinnacle studio. It was, oh, I had that too. You did yeah. with the little, the, 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 um, the little thing on this, uh, it was like a input V like it looked like a weird trophy, but it had all the AV plugs in it. It was like, it was weird. It was, it was like a docking station that was just mounted on a thing. It's ugly. And I it took up a lot of desk space, but oh, time, I do remember that. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. I do remember that. Anyway, I guess the, I guess that's what the pinnacle is or pinnacle yes. is the quality. Anyway, there pinnacle studio. That's where I fell in love with editing and decided I wanted to make movies. So we, we, but we each edit fairly frequently uh, hell i'm editing this podcast probably right this second but um <laughs> <laughs> on adobe premiere mm-hmm. um but but people have more and more access to these uh this software and you can teach it to yourself uh via youtube so you get a lot more and and, fa- and fan culture in general has um is a lot more demanding about what they want to see in a movie and what they don't like in certain movies that, that they're passionate about so you get a lot of fan edits and yeah. you brought to my attention a fan edit, fan, well, several fan edits of The Hobbit. Yeah. So what what kicked all this off is, you know, for years now, I've thought I would love to re-edit The Hobbit trilogy into one film because I think I think there's a really good film there. Mm-hmm. I just don't know that there's three really good films there. Yeah. Um, and so, um, although I know if you go back and listen to the Hoopercast, like I give the Hobbit glowing reviews. Um, yeah, we were very it, kind to the Hobbit. We, we were very kind to it. And, and I just love middle earth and I love that world and I love spending time in it, but, but I, I'll be the first to admit now years later, uh, it, it, there, there are, there's bloat, there's bloat to the film. Yeah. Um, that, that it, there are some things that aren't necessary. Um, and, and recently I, I reread the Hobbit for the first time since, literally ninth grade. And so, um, you know, it's been a long time and, and I was just floored by how simple the story is. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, 
and then just kind of replaying the Hobbit films in my mind as I'm as I'm reading this and and thinking like, yeah, I can remember all of the bloat in between all of these things, right? Um, which has been well documented, you know, the the romance between uh, Tariel and it's either Keeley or Keeley. It's Keeley. Is it Keeley? Is there a Feely? Um, there is a Feely. There is. Uh, yes, Keeley and Feely. Um, and so. So Tari, but Tariel does not exist. Like no. she's a, a Jackson creation. Um, and then, you know, just little things in there. I mean, obviously there's a lot more with Bard in the film, which you kind of have to do because in the book, Bard just kind of shows up in one chapter and slays the dragon. Um, they made a wise decision in, in Peter Jackson's version to introduce Bard earlier and integrate him into the story early um, or, you know, at least as early as they could. Give him character. Um, yeah. And and so there are some really good things that it did. And then there's some bloat. Yeah. And so I've always thought, like, if I could just re-edit this into, like, the Zack Snyder four-hour deal, <laughs> like, that would be great. Yeah. Um, and so – but I, I knew, like, I'm not dumb enough to think, like, I'm the first person to ever think of this in the world. <laughs> and so so I Googled it. I Googled it. And, and I came up with – I found this Reddit list of, like, just a ton of Hobbit re-edits. And, and I did some – work to watch a few of the clips from these things yeah. and there's one i can't remember which edit it is that i watched some of it's like available on google drive so i just like clicked it um and and what's interesting about them is you know obviously they have to work with only the finished film they don't right. have the daily like they don't have all the alternate takes they don't have like you know all the b-roll they don't have uh, establishing shots that he didn't use. They don't like, have the stem files where you could pull it out and make it a little longer. You know, you, exactly. you, you just have the burned in movie. Exactly. Yeah. So, so there's, there are, there are limitations to a fan edit. Yeah. Right. Um, and so I watched some of the opening scenes, like some of the various edits opening scene and, and what they try to do in various versions, it's, it's similar, but, but notably different. Um, but they all have the same problem, which is it's very rushed because if you remember the Hobbit has this like super long, intro that's like you know the destruction of uh erebor and smaug coming in and running the dwarves out and like all of this stuff and all of that's cut out in almost every fan edit so uh it just kind of like starts it's just like boom bilbo and um and it just feels very quick and so there just the nature of re-editing a film that's already kind of stuck the way that it is, um, is it's tricky, but, um, it is an interesting exercise and I had a lot of fun watching those various versions because it's just cool to see how different editors interpret the same scene. In fact, I remember in film school, um, we, we both had a post-production class. Um, I don't think we had that together. I think, I think we took, no. Yeah. And, and, um, and I remember, but we were all, the whole class was given the same, like hard drive of files. And yeah. it's like, it's like, here's all of this footage from this old Western or yeah, whatever that somebody that's had a, made. It was a senior project somebody had made. Yeah. Somebody's senior film. Yeah. And, and we had access to all the files. Boy, that was a fun month of quoting that movie, wasn't it? It was. Just walking around talking about going up to Abilene or whatever. Going up to Abilene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> but, but what's cool about it is like, and, and for those of you who are familiar with filmmaking, know this. And, and those who aren't, don't, um, now you will is, you can take those same files and give them to 20 different editors and yep. get 20 different 
films, like yeah. you have 20 very different scenes. Um, and, and, and that's, what's so cool about this is like watching people with limitations, overcome those limitations in creative ways. Um, and so what's cool about it is like in, in further research, like there's a ton of other versions of like the star Wars prequels, um, Topher Grace famously recut. Yeah. Um, I guess it was, I don't know if it was the whole trilogy. Was it the whole trilogy? He did the in whole one movie? trilogy, and I think even he has a Hobbit um, edit now yes, too. He does. Yeah, although but, it is not it's not publicly available. No, and neither is uh, Phantom Menace the, or the the, oh, right, the prequels right, right. because you can't yeah. you can't um, you can't put them anywhere uh, because of all yeah. this copyright. But what he did do is he invited he invited friends. He, he would screen it like privately yeah, yeah. without mm-hmm. you know, and you can't charge money or anything, but you can show it to people. And he would have private screenings of. Of, yeah. And I think he, I think he cut the prequel trilogy down to like ninety minutes or something crazy. Yeah, it something was crazy. crazy. Like, yeah, that's yeah, wow, impressive. It's very impressive. Yeah. Not sure how and, he did that, but yeah, right. But uh, you know that that's what's so cool about this this idea of the fan edit and 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 taking something that you love mm-hmm. and making it something that you love even more yeah um like this is my ideal version of whatever and um and i think that's where most of these fan edits come from is it's not like man i hate the prequels let me fix them it's I, I really like these movies, but I'll admit they could be better. So let me try to make them better. Let me see if I can drag out the nuggets in here that are fantastic yeah. and cut the things that aren't um, like, you know, fart jokes and um, <laughs> and, and naked dwarves. And um, and we'll, we'll cut that out. Right. And so. Um, so, yeah. So my question to you, to all the listeners, too, um Let's say that that Hollywood decides like, hey, there's something to these fan edit ideas. What if we gave money to, say, Peter Jackson and said, will you re-edit the three Hobbit films into one movie? Right now they get a whole new Blu-ray release. Right. It's like it's like we get to release another movie for 20 bucks. It's it's essentially what. um you know, every director's cut is what uh, the the new yeah, Godfather Part that, Three that, that, is. That's how they fund it. It, it is the studio yeah. has to be able to make money off of it, so there's enough yep. incentive. I mean that that the 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 Blade Runner quadruple cut, all those cuts, yeah. 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 So, so if, if, if that happened, like, is that something you'd be interested in to say like, okay, this film was obviously intended to be told over three films Mm -hmm. in nine hours. And now it's been cut down to three and a half. Like, does that interest you? Does that, does that, or does that give you pause and say like, you're probably cutting something important that violates the artistic integrity. Um, and, uh, another question is that something that only the filmmaker can do or per our discussion on authorial intent, um, is that something that now belongs to the audience and the audience can do just as legitimately as, as the original artist? So I, I am interested and I, and part of why I'm interested is because I partially disagree. I think Mm. that the original intent for the Hobbit was not three movies. I think that was Warner brothers and new line, whoever, uh, what saying, you know, money, 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 let's make money. I believe that the original idea was two films, two films. Yep. And then, and then at some point along the way, I, I, I feel like I remember and recently reading about it just to double check myself that, that, Peter Jackson didn't want to make three. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so here's how I feel about it. So if 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 we're gonna do a Snyder cut, now they're talking about David Ayer cut um, of of Suicide Squad, which please don't. Um, <laughs> but you know the but but with the same justification being like there was a lot of studio meddling that changed the course of the project the same way it did with um, the Snyder cut with justice league, although not as dramatic as replacing the director mm-hmm. in the, in David, you know, in Zack Snyder's case. But if we're going to start doing this, where we find we, we, um, you know, studios and streaming companies decide that there is enough market incentive for us to re-release a film with an alternate cut as long as the filmmaker is the one who is helming it and deciding, all right, well, how will we arrange this? Um, I'm fine with it because it, it, it to me, it is fun. It functions the same as director's cut. It's someone saying, you know, um, the, the, the kingdom of heaven, uh, Ridley Scott did it with, uh, I mean, obviously with Blaine Rider, but he did it with, um, he did it with uh, kingdom of heaven. Um, mm-hmm. and the director's cut of kingdom of heaven is great. Um, yeah. a most, a lot of people, um, consider it the true cut like it's a much better film than the theatrical version so if if that's the context under which we're going to get you know a a, a, the peter jackson cut the jackson cut yeah um on disney um (laughs) on disney the lord of the rings disney on hbo max on disney frodo is your normal average kid (laughs) 55 he's got kid. hairy feet <laughs> yeah and an even hairier disposition <laughs> <laughs> i mean to do the boner noise <laughs> <laughs> um so uh if if that's if that's um if that's how we're doing new cuts then i'm then i am okay with it i personally would love to see Peter Jackson. Now there's this part of it that I have to be consistent and say it bothers me like, Oh, now that we have audience feedback, let's change the movie to give yeah. the audience what they want. But it's one of those things where I feel like, I feel like this is what everyone wants. I think Peter Jackson yeah. didn't want three movies. And I think the audience would like tighter, uh, a tighter story for this, this film, uh, this, this story. Um, that's not always the case. You know, no one was asking for special editions of star Wars or, um, whatever, but like you know, people wanted the pre the prequels to be better, so people stepped up and started making alternate cuts. So I feel like there's a give and take. I feel like if there is, if there's universal, well, near universal calls for a revision, and the filmmaker also wants to revise it, and the studios say we could profit from this revision. Then you've got the uh, the Hollywood water cycle, as I say. Yeah, you know, yeah. You, it, yeah. It, it, it could happen, and I'd be interested as long as I'm not being charged money for it. <laughs> right. No, so. and and I, I agree. I think I think that if if it's something that they're going to make money on, yeah, then it needs the original filmmaker's involvement or at least permission. But but I would say involvement. Can I say one uh, more thing before yeah, you continue? Yeah, yeah, I feel like the um the motivation behind making the hobbit films as bloated as they were was because people because and i believe it was a misinterpreta- misinterpretation of audience feedback of the lord of the rings extended editions oh people think more is better so let's just pack more into these let's pack all this stuff from the silmarillion and the appendices it's like mm-hmm. great um 
doesn't exactly transfer though. You you gave us yeah. more and we hate it. Thanks, I hate it. Right. <laughs> right, so, right. So yeah, in, in this case, yeah, I love the extended editions. I think they're better than the, the theatricals. Um, I agree. Or, or or they're they're enriching, but yes. it doesn't quite transfer to yeah, a single and, and book. I, so for three I, films. I own I own the Hobbit extended editions. Okay. Um and 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 I enjoy them. But but it is it it takes the focus off of the hobbit and it becomes about a million other things and that's okay but if it's called the hobbit then i want it to be about the hobbit, the hobbit. i want it to be about bilbo yeah. and 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 he is lost especially in in the he battle is. of five and he's armies. so good he's uh, martin freeman's great as bilbo fantastic it's yeah. so funny and he has a lot of stuff going on career-wise but let's pretend the hobbit had been you know i would be like i would have felt pissed for him that he got shortchanged and lost in the movie a yeah. similar feeling to andrew garfield like oh well he's he's doing fine but yeah I feel like he wanted, I feel like he was better than those Spider-Man films were willing to be. Yeah. Allowed him to be. And, uh, I, I, whenever I think of the Mark Webb films, I'm always thinking, I feel bad for Andrew Garfield because I feel like he deserved better. And, um, you know, thankfully he's a great actor who picks good projects and he's doing fine. But, but you know, he, sometimes you look back and go, you were owed uh, a, a, a bigger star though. That that that's how I feel about Henry Cavill as Superman. Yeah, it's like 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 he deserves to be a better Superman than than he's given the opportunity to be. Yeah. Um. But but yes, and and I think that The Hobbit is a better story than it's given the opportunity to be. Um. On on screen, the Hobbit films again. While I enjoy them, it is not true to the book, and it is not true to the the actual arc if you were to if you were to plot the arc of bilbo baggins it is it's like movement happens in the first film some in the second almost none in the third yeah um and so so what you have to do is is truncate all of that and recenter it on bilbo i mean there's there's an entire chunk of the book where the battle of five armies by the way in the book is five pages long Five pages. And wow. in the film, it's like two hours. They have uh, like a howitzer or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Right. It, it's five minutes. I'll tell you why. Because Bilbo gets knocked out uh-huh. towards the start of the battle uh-huh. and wakes up when it's over. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and it's centered on Bilbo. So wow. Bilbo does yeah. not see the battle. Yeah. They can't um, change perspective. Can't change point right. of view. So, so he, he sees a little bit, gets knocked out and then comes to, and they're like, yo, like battle's over, man. And, and in, in, in the movie, hey, like, hey, hey, bro, that's, over, how, that's bro. how they talk in Middle Earth. Hey, bro, battle's hey, over. Hey, get bro. Up. Take this hey, bro, Gatorade. Got the gold, don't. There you go. Watch your watch. All the dwarves are like that, that one leprechaun video. I want the gold. Give me the gold. <laughs> <laughs> that one, like I don't know what that is. I, I know exactly. I know there's you know t-shirts exactly that are sold like a minute from my house for this, <laughs> that leprechaun, Dustin. <laughs> I should, by all accounts, I should own one by now. I don't know what I'm doing. You, I'm not. You true. should buy one for all of us and send it out. I'll wear it every single time, every single night we record. <laughs> now only it. wear the leprechaun. Do barrel. it. Um, but yeah, man, like I'm, I'm we totally also have interested. a battleship here. By the way, we have lots of other 
cool <laughs> lots of other actual history um <laughs> i yeah i i i'm i'm I, I agree with you i think that that it needs filmmaker involvement um but i would say like i do think that the fan edit is legitimate as a as an art form as long as it's not for profit um, it is legitimate. It's it's a way for a fan to flex their creative muscles yeah. and and hone their storytelling skills by utilizing footage shot by somebody else and crafting it into their own thing. That's exactly what we did in school. Yeah. We used somebody else's footage to create something that in some way was ours. Yeah. And and it's not. It, it's not ours. I can't put it on a reel and I can't sell it, but it, but I still have those files. Yeah. And in a way they're mine. Um, that, that's my interpretation of, of those files. And, and that's what these are. And so I think it's legitimate as, as an experiment, as a practice, as, uh, as, like I said, just like honing your skills. Um, but if it's something that Warner Brothers is going to officially release, if it's something that, you know, any studio is going to officially release, it has to be sanctioned by the filmmaker and it has to be, you know, given that person's seal of approval. And, uh, and it needs to be done with care. Uh, because, because this isn't like these fan edits again are not just, grabs at money or power they are legitimately trying to help the story legitimately trying to make it better and that's what you know if if officially hollywood decided to do one of these that's what it should be um so anyway i yeah i just thought it was interesting the the plethora of of fan edits that are out there for various films and uh you know i i I now have no real itch to do it myself because it's been done a million and a half times uh, by people who are better than me. But um, I will say like the idea of, of like pulling the footage of the opening scene and doing my own interpretation of one scene. Yeah, that might be a fun little exercise. Yeah. Um, but I'm not going to scour through nine hours of content, making notes and, you know, pulling parallels to the book and like, making it all i'm not doing all that um but but like like a scene sure that might be fun there was the an example in in the uh the youtube video about whatever the brian de palma film was yes you know where he had uh a version of the script that for some reason couldn't get made or one that he prefer that he had said he preferred a, a different draft of the script mm. and it somehow got leaked online and so a fan um, used the script as a blueprint and re-edited the film and Brian De Palma ended up seeing that edit and contacted him and said, can I please put this on the Blu-ray release? Yeah. And so that became like essentially the, the de facto director's cut. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it's cool. I mean, imagine being that editor and being like, Oh my God, like what kind of validation is that? Like, and this is a yeah. fan edit. I didn't even have access to the, the raw, the log footage or alternate, mm-hmm. like you said, alternate takes you know, yeah. I mean, these people who have to, uh, who I don't say have to, who choose to do these fan edits, you know, they do amazing stuff. They, 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 they pull a Blu-ray out. They, they, they use a 5.1 mix so they can, they can, uh, isolate, you know, 
the score, dialogue, sound effects, tracks, um, and, and make for a cleaner edit. Um, and that's just so cool. And it must take a ton of work. I mean, one guy, I mean, I saw his, his, um, his whole edit took, and I don't know what his schedule is or if he has a full-time job or whatever, but he said, you know, from, from drafting it out and developing it to finishing it, he spent 10 months doing, doing his edit of the Hobbit. Um, and then when he posted it, people came back with like, essentially they had designed DVD cover art for these people based on the titles Mm. they gave. Um, like the iron foot cut or whatever, like they, they, yeah, yeah. there's, they post the pictures, they post, there was, um, news when our film news sites would see the cut, they'd cover it and talk about it. So they post yeah. like, here's what cinema blend said about it. It's really yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, so if that's your website, you know, that's, that's, it's as good a resume as any to show like, Hey, I've, I've got some talent. Like, here's what I did with, with burned in footage that I couldn't yeah. color correct too much, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. It's uh, it's cool yeah, for and, sure. And every video and every article you're going to read about this top topic is going to say, this is only going to continue. So, you know, if you have time, you may as well enjoy it. And, um, I, I don't think that it's going to contribute too much to the toxic part of fan culture. Um, because I think this requires a lot of work Yeah, <laughs> and I think yeah. it takes zero work to say, release the Snyder cut or you're, you know, and then a bunch of, you know, expletives, um, mm-hmm. it's a lot harder to, to, to look at a film and go, I know how I would improve this and I have the skills yeah. to do as such and, and I'm going to s- spend yeah. a year doing it and yep. putting it out there. There's nothing yep. toxic about that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, sweet. That's it. I think we're going right. to, we're going to put a plug in it right there. Um, let's do it. Uh, to continue the editor puns. This is, this is the out point. Mm-hmm. Yay. Okay. Yay. Um, Back next week, uh, we'll talk about some stuff. Until then, thanks for listening and uh, watching. Dos Vidanya. Dovarish. All right. Bye. Bye. Okay. <laughs> Give me your your Anglo goodbye. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. Bye.